0: Everyone and welcome to New Consciousness Review. I'm Miriam Knight, and our guest today is Kingsley Dennis. He's an author, researcher, and sociologist. And his books include Breaking the Spell, and Exploration of Human Perception, New Revolutions for a Small Planet, The Struggle for Your Mind, and the book we're going to discuss today, New Consciousness for a New World. He is also the co-author with Erwin Laszlo of the forthcoming Dawn of the Akashic Age. Kingsley is co-founder of World Shift International, which is a conscious evolution initiative that promotes and supports a world shift, both externally within our current global systems, as well as internally on a personal level. Kingsley worked in the sociology department at Lancaster University in the UK and has authored numerous articles on social futures, technology, and conscious evolution. He currently lives in Andalusia, Spain, and continues to research, write, travel, and grow his own vegetables and generally make everybody who speaks with him insanely jealous. Welcome, Kingsley.
1: Ah, Hello, Miriam. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you, and uh, I hope I won't make you jealous.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, I obviously couldn't resist reviewing a book called New Consciousness for a New World, and I'm so delighted to read such an impassioned wake-up call. Now, you say that everything around us is in flux, both with respect to earth changes and societal shifting and interdependencies, and that we are dangerously close to some irreversible tipping points. Let's start by talking about some of these tipping points that you see.
1: Mm. Well, thank you, Miriam. And um, it's true, I don't think uh, we need to be a a rocket scientist to realize that uh, we're in uh, a a period of change, transition and uh, many voices have been talking uh, in, in similar themes. Um, what my, I mean, my perspective as a sociologist as, as well as having uh, an interest in, in conscious evolution is that I keep one eye on the ground, so to speak, looking at the social changes, uh, the, the systems, the global systems, whether it's um, Geographical systems, climate systems, uh, social, um, um, urban systems, etc. And the other, the other interest is that I, I'm involved in, in obviously interested in conscious evolution, and I feel that the state of human consciousness is participatory with our state of the social systems. And I, I feel that's a point which um, perhaps some sociologists miss looking purely at the physical and um, perhaps other voices looking at um, the, the state of the mind perhaps don't focus so much on the physical systems. And for me, we can't look at one without the other. It's not black and white. And so these systems we're going, we're going through now um, this is also a period of transparency, like never before, in the fact that we can see the inefficiency of these systems um, political, financial, educational, and um, that a lot of them are, are part of the industrial mindset of the last uh, one hundred and fifty years, and they 're just not um, they 're not the right model. For the time that we need to be moving into, so the tipping points um, occurring a lot in these physical systems, but also it's connected to our state of our inner state in our human consciousness. Miriam,
0: well, it's so refreshing, um, and and I might add unusual to have somebody with your breadth of experience and understanding um, look at these systems as an integral whole. I think that our tendency is to first of all drive looking in the rear view mirror and secondly to deal with symptoms rather than underlying causes so being able to pull them all together into a, an overall understanding is I- I- immensely valuable so uh, hats off for that um, <sighs> Which which of the systems do you want to start with first? I mean, we 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 are, we talked or you you spoke in your book about everything from peak oil and 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 uh, urban decay and uh, financial collapse. All of these are independent. Tell us about some of the linkages you see here.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, Miriam, it, it's like the the, China, uh, sorry, the Russian doll uh, metaphor, is that you, you take w- off the lid of one doll and there's another one inside, and another one inside. Um, now, because I have a background in complex systems, um, and I have studied the interlinkages, um, we see that really everything is so co-interdependent, and over the last um, especially over the last fifty years we've been moving um, into a, a period of great interdependency and I feel personally that we are on the cusp of a planetary society and so we cannot look at one without the other and with, with this moment we need to bring in an integral mindset uh, what we may call a holistic mindset so for the example you mentioned peak oil now. People, when we talk about peak oil, peak oil, we tend to think about the, the gasoline in our cars, and we think, well, without without um, you know any plentiful supply of this black gold, we'll have problems driving from A to B. What we don't perhaps understand so deeply is that our whole way of life is embedded in in these structures. So it's not only our cars; um, it's Virtually everything that we have in our houses, um, all our, most of our um, machines in the kitchen, our plastics, our cosmetics, even our food, I mean, because um, our food is sprayed with fertilizers generally, uh, uh, the, that's a shameful point, but of course the fertilizers are based on oil, um, of course um, then we have the packaging, we have the transport, um, the list goes on and on, so our way of life is endemic in these systems. And so now also, I mentioned the food systems. And the food systems are tied into energy, uh, they're tied into transport, um, they're tied into, obviously, um, let's say, urban way of life as well, and, and the large conglomerates. So it's a knock-on effect, and the list goes on. So when we have, for example, um, a bad harvest in russia which happened a year or so ago and they they closed their their export that affects basic prices of such things as corn around the world and and so you know that affects us really on our own doorstep so we can't have one without the other and we can't close our eyes to what's going on because the systems we have have brought us in tied us in made us interdependent in our whole way of life. So what I talk about in the book and when I talk about when I'm speaking with people and friends is that we have to consider our whole way of life and the patterns that we live by and therefore the perceptions that we have of life if we wish to change one because we cannot we cannot tweak one system without understanding the knock on effects to the other. And, and so that's just one one small example, Miriam.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You speak in the book about three possible scenarios for future trajectory, uh, business as usual not being one of them.
1: Um, tell us about the the, mm-hmm. the three. Mm-hmm. Well, again, I want you to look at the, the, the bigger picture. Um, they're not all separately. They are mutually independent. Um, but there are there are kind of um, pathways that we could see as going towards um, now one of them um, of course is um, i 've called it digital networks of control is that um Especially in the, in the Western industrialized nations, in order to keep a control of what is happening, and I, I mentioned that um, several years ago that we may likely see social unrest in the streets because of rising food prices and uh, decreasing standards of living and financial insecurity. You say, and we can they see they that in see the streets today.
0: Indeed, the news of it. Mm. In Greece and, and Indeed,
1: Spain, I, yeah. Spain, especially. Yeah, I, I say may because I'm I'm thinking back on when I actually wrote it, and so um, but now we actually see the 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 uh, result, and so because of that, um, a lot of um, governments may wish to um, bring in a, a greater. I suppose, a draconian sense of controlling civil unrest and especially controlling the pathways of information that people use to organize themselves. And that was, I think, uh, abundantly clear in the Arab Spring and also in, I think, the latest attempts to have some certain control over Internet censorship. So that was a certain pattern that could manifest. And I think in some ways it is manifesting now. On the other side, there was a, a ten, I mentioned a tendency to go towards, um, again, I'm using a, a slight exaggeration, but a kind of a tribal uh, state where certain nations uh, kind of close their borders and try to bring in, uh, a, you know, uh, tighten up and, and bring what they have home. Um, and we are we are seeing that now in in certain trade wars in that certain countries are trying to hold on to what they have and, and use those as bargaining points mm-hmm. and so resources now is is the new trade war and it's so we can see all these elements um, manifesting which um, which are signs that our systems are reaching their stretching point and it's, it's, it's almost as if we are on a, a sinking ship and the captain has an idea to um, start to you know, plug up the holes one by one instead of thinking about redesigning the ship so we, we can only travel so far Miriam on a patchwork ship because eventually there'll be no more space for any more patches and so I think what the, what the need is and what I stress is that if we wish to have a new ship a new model, we first must change our pattern of thinking, that's paramount, because otherwise we'll try to just um, retweak the existing systems, which is what's happening now, or replace them with upgraded systems, but of the same old incumbent model. And these are just... uh, semi-solutions which won't work, especially not in the long term. Perhaps in the short term they may look good and glossy, but they won't work.
0: Well, change is always seen as threatening, especially to, uh, to governments, but even to people, because it's the fear of the unknown. Um, but Uh, You you said in in a number of places, you you quoted uh, Dwayne Elgin as saying that despite all our good intentions, without this coming era of collective distress and adversity, the human family is unlikely to awaken to its global identity and evolutionary responsibility. And Peter Russell refers to the problems facing humanity as evolutionary catalysts. And you you make a big point about Mm -hmm. that, like we have to go through this period in order to make uh, not changing more painful than change. is, is uh, uh, c- Can you expand on that?
1: yeah sure, Miriam. Uh, that's quite right. I agree with Peter Russell and Dwayne Elgin. And I, I do use the term, again, evolutionary catalyst. Um, because, again, I looked at complex systems and also in biology, the complex systems, and systems get to a point where um, they're so complex that they need an input of energy to force them to um, push up to the next level of complexity or to the next level of the system. So there's always been an influx of energy at these critical times, um, what we, what is being called the tipping points. So energy is coming into the system and that may cause a little bit of, of um, chaos or disruption. So, for example, um, If you throw a a stone into a pond, you have the ripples going out. That's one system. But we have multiple systems. So imagine you throw two or three stones into the pond. When those waves go out, when they hit each other, the waves from each stone, when they hit each other, you have interference. Now, that's what we're, I think we are kind of, experiencing now is the interference of these systems coming to um, their disruptive point. So um, this the element of change is that I, I feel we're going through a period where change is I- extremely rapid. Um, In terms of evolution, change in one generation is extremely rapid. And that's why, perhaps, Miriam, we're not so used to change, because change has often happened between generations. So if we speak to our parents or our grandparents, they talk about the way it was, and it sounds like there wasn't much change in their lifetime. I feel that when we'll be talking to our Um, to our children, we're talking about change. And I feel that our young generations will experience double that change because it's happened exponentially. And that's the difference is that if we think about change on a linear level, it seems very slow and not much happens. But when we have systems changing and tipping, we have a a kind of exponential change because each system shift reinforces the other system and amplifies it. So we have a sense of amplified change so we should not worry about that because um, you know, our state of mind during a transition is extremely important and so as, as I talk about we need to have a, a balanced mental, emotional um, and so to understand that change can help us adapt to what is what we could say is an evolutionary necessity. Uh, I I refer to it as, as a spring clean, that often to clean out the house at springtime, we take the furniture out, we clean the house, and we put the furniture back in. And I feel that this disruption is a spring clean, and how we approach these times of change is very important. I don't wish to be, be uh, blase with that, Miriam, because I do understand that some people are experiencing a, a difficult time. But it's not only what happens to us which is important. It's how we respond to it. And responding to change in the right way will really help this moment individually and collectively. You do
0: make a, a big point about the need for resilience and the, uh, prospect of renewal. Um, I love all your R words. Very good. Um, <laughs> you, we, we've heard about the hundredth monkey effect. And, um, it, it's possibly apocryphal, but you talk about some very real science that um, makes the plausibility of interspecies communication, intraspecies communication, mind-to-mind, you know, the, the Akashic field, as being an inescapable reality. Um, this, this is a major mind shift for many people to accept. Tell us about some of the research that you find most compelling...
1: Mm. Well, Miriam, yes, I, I threw in the middle of the book a, a couple of chapters on, on quantum science. I, that may, may uh, throw a few people off. Um, what, I, what was my intention was that I wanted to give a validity to the idea of um, our, our consciousness and patterns of thinking. I didn't just wish it to be speculative and, and, and talk about consciousness in an abstract way. I wanted to look at the science behind it. So once we can absorb and, and understand in ourselves that we are inherently energetically connected, we are part of a connective fabric, then that may help us to understand change on a different level, in a way that affects all of us. So, um, the science of quantum physics and what interests me also is quantum biology, and I looked at the work of um, biophysicist Mei-Wan Ho as one example. And um, what, from her work, what I what I learned is that. Um, our human DNA gives off biophotons. That's it. Our DNA emits light, and emits light in a field um, process, almost like um, producing an electromagnetic field. And so, each 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 part of our each molecule, a part of our DNA, is emitting this field, which therefore has um, has an effect that the fields. Uh, interact together, and so our body is one simultaneous whole field and Biophysicists have have said that this is how our body communicates instantaneously much faster than than um, our RNA passing the messages and our and our internal hormones. This light emitting field is an instantaneous informational field now also this f- bio this bio field. Um, emits beyond our body. So the human body has a field beyond it. Um, now, this may, this may be related to um, a lot of our iconic images of um, um, enlightened people or prophets having an, an aura around them or people seeing auras. And so people having this, this um, biofield around them connects people because this biofield extends to other people's biofields. So we're all connected. So, in fact, if we have a thought, which itself is a, an electromagnetic vibration, then that can connect with people around us. So we are, we are connected on, on a multitude of levels. So our thoughts... And our state of mind and our perception during that time will also resonate with people around us. So, for example, if we are anxious or nervous about this time, we may, um, unbeknown to us and, and perhaps not consciously, be passing on this nervousness to those close to us or in our families. And, or if we are emotionally um, upset, we can pass that on. So, that's why and we, and I look at this sign to say, Mm-hmm. And we can absorb this uh, negative
0: emotion from the fear-based media that we ingest.
1: Oh, exactly so, yes. And and I feel that that's also a very important element, which I've looked at in my work, is that these images of the Armageddon and end of the world, especially which were, which were rife in 2012, give, gives off the wrong message. Um, and I, you know, I felt that there was a lot of misunderstanding around this message. And another point that I look at is that the Earth, Miriam, is an open system. We receive uh, the, the the plasma rays from the sun, and our systems, our communication systems, our and our biosystems are highly affected by um, the coronal mass ejections, the sun flares that we receive. And and people have talked about this, scientists as well, that in moments of peak sunflow activity, it affects life upon planet Earth. So in that sense, we are a whole range of interconnecting field, again going back to the Russian doll metaphor, one within the other. So that's why we we need an integral perception and holistic viewpoint, not a linear viewpoint. You know, I've read some reports, governmental reports, looking at the future, the next 50 years. And all they do is project the same trends of today, 50 years in the future. Um, And I think we're going to be living in a vastly different world by then. We have to understand the nature of exponential change, not linear change, maybe.
0: I couldn't agree more and it's interesting when you look at the world of commerce and industry the the people who make these big contributions like Steve Jobs and Apple I mean the 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 iPhone was a game changer uh the internet was a game changer these are all discontinuities that came out of the vision of individuals who did not you know who did a, made a quantum shift um, so, you know, I, I personally love the science of it, but I want to pull you back into the sociological aspects because you talk about new visions for our society. Um, you talk about, um, new ways of adapting to the changes that are inevitable and this i think is one of the most important messages in your book people these changes are coming we have to look at our options and develop new ways of being within a game that will never be the same as what our parents lived you go kingsley over to you
1: mm-hmm. Thank you, Miriam. Uh, That's a wonderful point. And why this time is so important is that um, there's a a greater energy of empowerment between people themselves now. What I mean by that is that I feel that... um, this change will not come from centralization, from the center, but from the periphery. and you made, you made the wonderful point about, um, for example, jobs in the iPhone. Um, they, did, they took people by surprise. and um, this is being called in sociology disruptive innovation, um, just as the mobile phone texting. Now the Nokia mobile phone, when well, Nokia was a toilet paper, com- paper company in Finland, and they decided to make mobile phones and woof. Um, you know. People don't see change coming so much. And it's the change which comes from the periphery which will really be the game changer. And what's important now is that because of our, our global communications and people networking, we can connect together and join together and create our projects of change in a distributed, decentralized model. We don't have to wait for some centralized government to initiate something so i feel the new renaissance will not come from the center but from people doing their thing and networking so for such for examples we've seen a lot of wonderful change uh, in america i looked at the rise of um the food markets the garden markets people are are people now are, are creating uh, Uh, Food networks, uh, grow your own food, connecting and sharing advice and uh, people um, selling seeds through these networks, um, people connecting and uh, doing car sharing, um, a whole lot of sustainable um, projects and networks are going on. It's incredible because once we realize that we can do these things ourselves on limited resources, we, we don't need a, a corporate backing, because um, what's available, we, we can do and share between, um, between friends and like-minded people. And this, I think, is going to be the next paradigm, is that projects, grassroots from the bottom up, what we may call disruptive innovation, um, people innovation. And, um, and so I look at it as the blotting paper metaphor is that I'm not sure if you're you're familiar with blotting paper. The paper you you put drops of ink on, and the little drops spread. Now, imagine you have a, a, a white blotting paper. You put one drop of ink on there, and nothing much happens. You still have a white piece of paper. You put two drops, and these drops spread, but nothing much, three or four. After a while, these drops of ink will start to spread on the paper. And before you know it, the tipping point will be when these drops cover the whole paper and you have a different colored paper. That's when you have this instant change. First of all, a drop here, a drop there, people doing their things, people connecting. And you won't see it coming, but before you know it, all these people, all these networks, all these drops will connect up, and Miriam will have a new paradigm colored blotting paper that's what i feel is coming
0: i was interested in your description of uh, the the garden cities phenomenon i didn't realize that it was so early it was really at the turn of the previous century that it was started in the uk for example in Welland garden city and uh, mm-hmm. it you, you said that it spread all over the world it's in many continents now
1: tell us about it
0: it, it, it's a great news. Indeed, and,
1: and this, yeah. It is. It, it's, and in fact, it, it was almost uh, an idea before its time, in that sense, in that it 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 has it didn't take off so much at the time, but now um, it, it really is a model for what for what we're moving into now. Um, the Garden Cities also um, were very influential in, in America. Um, I think there was a big one in New Jersey and this was the idea that uh, living space, working space, leisure space should all be combined rather than the great suburban sprawl and travelling to um, a long distance to a, a working environment and then travelling home. So the, these centres were very close together and they were surrounded by a, a green belt, a garden belt and so, and then also, people um, in many garden cities, it was a cooperative people invested in the garden city and grew food together and they had their, their businesses and their shops and the money would then be shared between the people who lived there it's a living cooperative That's, that is still occurring in the garden cities in the UK that have survived and so we can take that model and realize that we have to redesign the way we live Um, I think it was uh, the social critic James Kunzler who said that um, uh, suburbia is the largest waste of of money ever Um, in the way that it just doesn't it's not a model that we can live with for the future in terms of sustainability we have to think where we work, how we live and how we combine them with urban spaces and green spaces. So um, there's some wonderful models coming up now in architecture and, and urban design, which I think really is, is going to take off. Um, there's been a, some great designs in in using buildings for for actually creating energy. So rather than um, we rather than people relying on the, on the national grid, where we live will become our own hotspot, so to speak. We'll create energy and we'll have little nodes of energy from all the buildings and places we live feeding back into the grid rather than taking only from the grid. Again, using the distributed model, Miriam.
0: hmm Yes. Um. You have uh, been influential in starting something called the World Shift
1: Movement. Tell us about that. Well, I'm co-founder w- uh, with Nicole Kristjav of World Shift International. Um, that came out really of my association with uh, Irvin Laszlo. Um, we've um, worked together on several projects, Irvin and myself. And, um, and so inspired from that, what what we wanted to do was connect not only external change but the idea of conscious evolution is that our conscious state is a participatory element in how we can change our lives and so um, WorldShift International wanted to look at how we can combine inner change with outer change and not seeing it just one without the other, or being black and white. So we encourage people to, um, to for example, undergo so um, mindfulness and, and look at our inner, inner states, um, our energetic states because we can give energy away quite quite easily in, in this distractive media saturated world we live in it's very important that we maintain a, a, a calmness within us and we can we can step back from the world and try to view it as objectively as possible and look at how we can make effective change because we don't have to feel like changing the world to make effective change if we make a change in ourselves that affects those people around us in incredible ways so um, again trying to look at the, at the bigger picture and we've, we've opened a, a social network which we call world shift now where, where people come on and we we share ideas, we network, we blog, we share information um, Now from my point of view i'm not trying to say you should do this or do that i'm I'm not advocating any one model Um, I I adhere to what uh, the great Persian poet Rumi said in the 13th century he said um, there are many ways to climb a mountain but the view at the top is the same Um, that is and he also said there are many ways as there are people's hearts Uh, so we all have our own way um, so, but we have to work out what works for us, and I feel that it 's important to to catalyze people into uh, thinking and feeling about what change they can make, and then they can go away, make that change, and catalyze other people again we 're moving away from from a centralization model where, where someone says, "This is the new model, believe it or not." Uh, I think you know the, the days of, of um, the person preaching. Um, To the multitude is over, it's the multitude talking amongst themselves, which is the new model. Mm -hmm.
0: Yes, yes, indeed. You said in your book, so so beautifully, change will come, the important choice will be how you choose to respond to it. And what you're giving in your book are many different uh, descriptions of people responding in many different ways. And you just have to be Um, and heartened, overwhelmed by the creativity of the human spirit. We just don't hear enough about that um, in in our day-to-day media consumption, which is one of the reasons why I love the WorldShift website. Um, What do you see as the uh, likely trajectory for the WorldShift website? Is it growing in popularity?
1: It's growing um, and, and I see it as, as a node amongst many, there's there's so many wonderful organizations out there all doing their part and we are not competing with anyone because competition is the old paradigm. Um, we are part of a, a collaboration with, with all websites who have the same spirit, the same heart and the same um, intention and mindset. Um, so what we wish to, what we wish to do is say that what you what you said Miriam Miriam is correct there's so much Incredible, inspiring change out there. We don't see it enough in the mainstream media. There are people doing projects all over the world, on the on the ground, on the street, doing um, opening up schools, doing educational projects. Um, people, I mean, a lot of young people are reaching out, especially in, in the Middle East, and asking for peace and wishing to connect. Because the more we learn about the world through information flows, we realise that. Our similarities are greater than our differences. And we realize that our diversity is part of our unity. And so we need, to look at, we need to realize that this creative change is going on. A lot of it is going on under the radar. But if we, if we realize how much is going on, um, there's, you know, we cannot not be optimistic. Mm. So you know, I, I feel that um, we, we will make the future... And the, we, we, are not, we, we are not going towards the end. There won't be an Armageddon. There will be a very strong future for us. The question is, Miriam, is how will that road to the future be? Because it can be smoother, smoother or rockier. Our, our response is to make that road um, the best for us to travel. I don't think we're going to break down. It's just the quality of our, our vehicle, so to speak.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. There's this interesting kind of dynamic tension between uh, the world of matter as, as we're discussing it and the world of spirit. And one of the points you do make in your book is that, is that the two are converging and informing each other. Uh, do you believe that that will be of assistance to us in weathering the times ahead?
1: I think it will be very significant for us in the way we shift our mindset and our worldview, um, because for the our rational Cartesian worldview, the view that we've had really for um, since um, the scientific paradigm has been the dominant. Mindset is of a materialistic universe that is uh, matter is, is first, and such things as consciousness, if it exists according to material science, is just a, a byproduct of of materiality, um, so therefore consciousness, in this view is a byproduct of the complexity of, of our of our neurons in our brain um, so for me i, I, I I find it quite bewildering to to adhere to this paradigm because it means that um, the human life is an accident on a rock hurtling through um, a dead space, a dead universe. (laughs) Um, For for, for me, that that just doesn't doesn't work. Um, So if if we turn it around 180 degrees and say, well, what if we understand that consciousness and dynamic energy is primary and matter is a secondary manifestation, what does that tell us about the meaning and significance of human life? What does that tell us about a living universe? And that, I feel, is is a paradigm changer because we realize then that our material structures um, our, our um, material lifestyles, um, our, our very sense of reality is a projection from a primary state of consciousness and therefore is affected by the energetic state of consciousness. And so science now is starting to validate that through such things as quantum physics and what I've been working with recently with Irvin Laszlo, the Akashic field paradigm, and um, once we understand that, um, it will help in shifting us towards an integral mindset, because the the scientific paradigm is a linear, mostly left brain, um, quite an isolationist mindset. So to to move, uh, I feel the scientific paradigm will start to move towards integrating. What has been um, before seen as a spiritual paradigm, and I think that's unfortunate that we have science and spirituality in two different corners, almost as if the two different sides of the boxing ring, <laughs> and you know, like a uh, Fraser and Muhammad Ali fight. We have science and and spirituality with their boxing gloves going to 15 rounds, and um, it, it's not like that. Um, they are the, they are different aspects of the same unity, and by com- combining. Um, the understanding of science, with the understanding of uh, a dynamic, um, intelligent, um, consciousness universe, then we can understand that both sides of the same unified paradigm. Therefore, that tells us a different. That tells us we have to think about how we treat our world and live in our world, and that worldview I think will bring in an integral mindset into this century.
0: How did you come to this mindset as a sociologist, Gingsley? (laughs)
1: Um, uh, Yeah, good question, because um, it's probably not a mindset I share with all my colleagues. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And it is very difficult to bring in these ideas into uh, an old paradigm or existing paradigm. Um, But you see, all through my life, I've been... um, I've been deeply attached to to these ideas, to the ideas of conscious evolution. And I've been, I've been a, a deep traveler, I've traveled for many years, I lived for five years overseas in Istanbul, and um, and I've, I've, I've been a sociologist and I've kept quiet about my personal interests for many years. And then I noticed, especially through uh, sociology and complex systems, and I used a lot the work of Fritjof Capra, for example. In my, in, my, in my academic life and I realized that they were both saying the same thing but in different ways and so eventually I came, to the, I, I came to a point where I couldn't I couldn't deal with them separately I could no longer wear one hat and keep the other hat silent so um, I, I decided to um, leave um, my academic world and I, I came here to Andalusia to combine both my sociology background with my understanding of of the new science and conscious evolution and to write about them together and um, so that that's what i did i'm still in touch with my colleagues uh, of course um, but i want i needed a space where i could combine these two without feeling i had to um, sacrifice something because we, we're living in a time now where we shouldn't have to um, um, I think sacrifice our values we should f- have be confident to to say what is true to us and and to speak out because um, people are understanding these ideas every day more and more and the more people who understand that has a exponential effect that knocks onto other people so I feel that we should speak our heart Miriam
0: and I think more and more people are sharing that feeling with you and are daring to speak out. Uh, people are having near-death experiences that just shake them to their very foundations. And did, did you have a, a major numinous experience or did you just come to it sort of rationally?
1: Um, and I've not had a, a, a um, let's say, a, a eureka moment at all. Um, I, I've always sensed this as a kind of gnosis in a sense that uh, the reality and the stories that we've been given to us through, through our, uh, let's say, our agreed history have never felt right with me. So I've always felt a need to explore something that, that worked for me. So. For for many, many years, I was exploring um, different traditions, different uh, stories, different wisdom traditions, to try and find something that um, I could bring into my life that made sense. So, um, And that's why when I write, when I talk about science and sociology, I use a lot of references because I don't want to speak as though it's just off the cuff or it's speculative. And people may say, oh, that's very well, Kingsley, that's just your ideas. But it, 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 it's not um, validating. So I make a great effort to any sociology I use, any any science I use, and um, I do reference it so people can go away and look for themselves and realize that there's a lot of new information coming out today that is that is validating the idea that consciousness is a primary, significant, tangible factor is not something abstract, and it is a part of our life we can look at the the projects coming out of uh, Princeton, the the PEER projects, P-E-E-R looking at how um, consciousness affects events in in the world and vice versa, how world affects affects, um, our vibrations of consciousness um, and we can look at the work of Dean Radin about again looking at uh, the tangible effects of consciousness. So now it's I think the the, the crack in the dam is exploding and disinformation is rushing out, and it we have to take note of this and realise that a new paradigm is surely coming in and it will be a matter of, of time before we have a what Thomas Kuhn would say, a paradigm shift to a new worldview. We move from a flat earth to a round earth. We're going to move from a round earth to an integral cosmic, um, I think, whole, Miriam.
0: I think it's inevitable and certainly Contributions like yours, uh, your books, Irvin Laszlo's books, your books together, are (laughs) a major uh, motive force in this direction. So kudos to you. I I, I think it's part of what I see as a bridging between the world of science and the world of spirit. And I, I, I can only see it accelerating
1: so mm-hmm. likewise Miriam and, uh, if I could say one last thing I would say don't take my word for it find out for yourself and have your own eureka moment because when you do uh, then you'll have the taste yourself and it's 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 happening Miriam it is indeed happening
0: Kingsley what are the best websites for you if people want to learn more
1: um, the simplest thing is to google my name Kingsley Dennis because there's not many of us out there. Um, one <laughs> of the benefits of having uh, an unusual name. So um, google my name and on my website um, I have many many essays uh, free to download uh, and other PDFs and I have a link to the worship international site and and links to other resources. So please come and visit and uh, and and take a browse through um, to my website. That's
0: kingsleydennis.com or .co. Yes,
1: kingsleydennis.com. .com,
0: okay. okay. Yes. And uh, what's the website for WorldShift International?
1: It is worldshiftinternational.org, all oh. one word. .org. And please come and join our social network and join the conversation. Indeed. And thank you for joining us
0: today, Kingsley. Kingsley Dennis author of New Consciousness for a New World. Thank you so much for being with us. Our guest next week will be chemist Dr. Françoise Tibica, talking about the rather intriguing subject of molecular consciousness. It's sure to be fascinating. And now we're going to close our show with the track of the week selected for us by Scott Johnson from among members of the Positive Music Association. Their music styles range from pop and rock to folk and jazz, and they all have positive messages designed to uplift, heal, and enlighten. This week we're featuring Amazing Things by Janice Stanfield from her album Let the Change Begin.
2: You will do amazing things with the choice each new day brings, and with every step you take, just the best. no need to look ahead or back. Just enjoy what this day brings. You will your eyes Take a breath and smile
0: That was Amazing Things by Jana Stanfield, the queen of heavy mental. Jana is a humorist, songwriter, and educator who infuses her million selling songs with laughter and wisdom. To find out more about Jana and her music, go to janastanfield.com. That's J-A-N-A-S-T-A-N-F-I-E-L-D.com. And to discover more great music or to join the PMA, go to PositiveMusicAssociation.com. You can take all our interviews and reviews with you by downloading our mobile app for iPhone and Android, and you'll find a link on our homepage at ncreview.com. Well, I hope you'll join us next week. So until then, I'm Miriam Knight for New Consciousness Review. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.